Who is that? Dave. Who? Dave. Let me in. It's Dave. Let me in. Dave's not here. No, no. I'm Dave. Let me in. I got the stuff. The stuff? Yeah, you know, the Joe Shrimpsack stuff, man. Let me in. I got the red gardenias and the and the blue gummies. Man, let me in. I even got some jello wood. Joe's not here. No, no. Dave. Not Joe. Dave. I'm Dave. Let me in. Dave's not here. D-A-V-E. I'm Dave. You can get, in. You can get your Joe Shrimp Shack online using promo code Aquarium Guys at checkout for 15% off. And Dave's not here. What about Willie, man? Is Willie there? JoeShrimpShack.com. Go and find your Willie. Don't forget about our friends at Ohio Fish Rescue. They have been spending all kinds of time trying to get these a massive koi to Shaq's place. It's a wonderful rescue. It's a wonderful opportunity to show off a rescue and what it's all about, about rescuing fish. Give them some love. Find them on YouTube, Ohio Fish Rescue. Subscribe. You might find some great content. Also, guys, I'd like to apologize about the podcast. We don't state that we do these weekly, but we really do try to do them weekly. We had some uh, mishaps go the last few weeks. Um, even my editor was actually in an area of a tornado and was out without power for quite a few days. So uh, forgive us, and hopefully this episode makes up for it. Let's kick that podcast. Welcome to the Aquarium Guys podcast with your hosts, Jim Colby and Rob Zolson. guys welcome to the podcast so this week we have the famous legendary jim coming from uh, winnipeg manitoba how are you doing today buddy i'm doing fantastic rob and thank you so much for asking me to come on your podcast tonight oh again we're we're happy to have you on man well i've kind of been sealed off uh, from the world with uh, covid19 doing its thing um i'm usually out there mixing it up with aquarium clubs and various groups involving fish. And uh, I've been sort of off that height uh, for a while now. So this is my outlet. Thank you. So again, thank you for this. Hey, we're, we're happy to give you an outlet. You haven't been just bored at home sitting there twiddling your thumbs. I don't want to give a lot of teasers, but you've been building a crazy pond and we have to deep dive into this here in just a little bit. Are you done with it? We'll at least get that out of the way. Well, I'm on the verge of breaking down and crying. I, I don't know if you I want to pursue know. this too much. Uh, well, uh, you, you know, I had a pond liner in that lasted 12 years, and I'm sure it could have gone for another 10. But we decided, I decided, and my wife was kind of nudging me to do it, to, to kind of refurbish the pond, to put a, a new trim on it. And we figured, okay, well, you know, we'll take advantage of that and put a new liner in. And it happens to me, my wife, Tia, who does my liners. I mean, she's very talented when it comes to fabrics and curtains, and she'll do the wallpaper, but she offers to do my uh, my liners. So here she is out there in the spring cutting away. This was last year and uh, did a perfect job, of course. And then we filled the pond last year, and it's going down. Every day it's going down. Only an inch or two, but, you know, and water changes are good anyway, so you just top it up, top it up, top it up. Well, this year, it's a disaster. I, I got the pond going fully a month ago, and there was a leak, and it was fairly large. So we emptied it. We looked for the leak, couldn't find it. This dam liner makes leaks impossible to find. When the water's in, it leaks like mad. When it is empty, of course, the leak closes up, right? And you can't find it. I mean, we're both down on our hands and knees walking at the bottom of the pond, poking our fingers everywhere to try to find the hole. Couldn't do it. So I filled it up again, and uh, it 
leaked so fast I couldn't fill it up fast enough with the hose. Uh, it was dropping faster than I was pouring water in. So I figured this is crazy. There's got to be something there the size of a football, you know, at the bottom in the way of a rip. So I emptied it again. Couldn't find a thing. Again, my wife and I are out there on hands and knees. Couldn't find it. So I filled it again, and I noticed something glistening in the bottom. It was a little black mark, but a bit of a white edge to it. So I stuck my hand down there, and sure enough, there was a, a dime-sized hole. So I tried all sorts of things. I tried the magical flex tape. It didn't work. <laughs> you did try the flex you tape. You tried it, huh? I tried flex tape, and I tried uh, a double patch of flex tape, and it, 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 it made it better, but it wasn't perfect. So then I emptied it again, and I put on, this is plan D now. So I put on a combination of silicone with flex seal tape, and I did four layers. So here's a patch, and then I seal the edge with silicone, and then a patch over top of that, and on and on. Well, without making a long a story too long, um, I just filled it up tonight, and it's been four or five hours, and it hasn't gone down. I'm Fingers elated. Crossed. But I could have had my fish in there a month ago. I mean, this has been a great spring. And, uh, no, they're still inside, you know, at the front glass saying, pick me, pick me, you know. So I have to make that decision yet. Who's going outside? Anyway, that's the story of the pond. Right now it's just a big empty box with water in it. Was well, it next time I'll have to come up there because it's not too far of a drive from where we're at to you, so – Got to wait Good for those uh, Canada, Canada borders to open from COVID. Yeah, at some point it'll open. I hope <laughs> next, next spring. Yep. Well, again, yeah, I'm your host so. Rob Olson. I'm Jim Colby, and I'm Adam Elnishar. He's back. Adam's back. Adam's back, and he doesn't sound like poo. Hey, Adam got a new computer. So that's yeah. what we got to do. We, we just we just do our announcement chain, and if Adam talks, we know he's here. That's good. <laughs> good to have you back, buddy. <laughs> How's your new computer? Thanks. We just got it today. Um, I got you it didn't last. Lick this one, huh? You didn't lick this one? No, I got one last week on last Monday. Couldn't get it working. Couldn't get it working. Brought it in. They fixed it supposedly. Tried it again this morning. Still was garbage. And then they just switched it out with a new one. Perfect. And That's that works. My first marriage. That that generally <laughs> works. I'm beginning to find out. Just snuck one in there. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say particular news, but we have a review. Uh, someone uh, entered the Discord and messaged us directly. So, you know, why not pick on them? Love the podcast. Listen to all of them. Been learning so much. Can't wait for more podcasts. Let Jim know that the didgeridoo is an epic musical instrument. It is. Also I, from Canada as well. Wow. We need more I of it. I love it. I, uh, from Canada. I, rock the didgeridoo. I, I, I have a didgeridoo, uh, Jim. And uh, yeah. I played. I played it one time. I, I'm not the greatest at it, but I did it just to irritate people, and they're still still whining about it. So I, I get a right. lot of uh, memes that they say "didgery don't," which I don't understand. <laughs> of, course. of course, it only sounded like a dead animal when it was on the podcast. Yeah, it sounded like a cow in heat, kind of is what it sounded yeah, like. Yeah. But I did yeah. rock the didgeridoo. So did they not come from Switzerland originally, where they used to stand out in the meadows and blow these things for no good reason? <laughs> wait, 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 wait! No, no, no! Commercial Ricola. Yeah, I think so. Ricola, right? <laughs> we, no, had Stefan, we had Stefan Tanner uh, speaking here uh, at one of our first uh, meetings of the Dead Fish Order, which we have going on up here. And Stefan's poster, like we make a poster for every speaker, was a picture of him blowing a didgeridoo uh, with Ricola all around it. So 
<laughs> I can I can relate to that. <laughs> so you got to help me. What is this dead fish order? Oh, okay. Well, about five years ago, um, there was kind of a rift between the regular Aquarium Society of Winnipeg and and a group of aquarists that felt that they had done their bit for that club, but the club really wasn't offering them anything. And that, in fact, the club wasn't really providing any incentive for people to really get into the hobby and to, you know, capture their fancy and so on. So uh, a number of us got together, Chris Biggs for one, uh, Spencer Jack, me. Um, there were about six other people. One was a graphic designer, graphic arts designer. Another one was a veterinarian. Uh, we weren't picked for these particular things that we do or were, but we were just very interested hobbyists that wanted to do kind of a special events club. So we decided to do this. And uh, basically it goes like this. Four times a year, we invite speakers in to uh, present to our group. Um, the group isn't restricted to anybody in particular. You could be anybody off the street. All you do is pay your 25 bucks and you get uh, an afternoon or an evening of a meal, really nice meal, uh, actually prepared by Spencer Jack's uh, girlfriend. She's quite a cook. And uh, then we have uh, the presentation, we have a big auction, and we just have a great social time. It's nothing more than a special events club. And we've tried to get the regular club members to come out from the city club, and they are starting to come over more and more. So... Um, we have our main club in town, the ASW, and then we've got the Dead Fish Order, which uh, gets sp sprung out of the mind of Chris Biggs, uh, who is a Star Wars uh, aficionado. Oh, and, I have to uh, make fun of him because he did not tell us about this. and We want did, to be a part of it. He did not tell us. That, no. Oh, and I, no. I own Dead Fish. I own Dead Fish. <laughs> I, could, I could bring one and show you. Right. Well, we've got a, a crazy logo. It's uh, two skeletonized fish <laughs> with DFO in the middle. <laughs> And um, and we when Chris was trying to finally get it underway, um, he wanted to have a Star Wars model for it. He wanted us to be all lords, like the Lord of the Sith, and we were to wear robes and all this sort of thing. Well, it never that's went why that you far. don't let him do anything. Well, us old guys just couldn't do this. I mean, it, it, it sounded like fun, but we just couldn't go for it. So, you know <laughs> we, what you should have? What you should have done, Jim, is you should put on a robe, and you could have been Hugh Hefner. You'd have been the coolest guy in a robe. Well, but that's right. But no, it, it had to be the official Star Wars type robes. Oh, no. I, you show up as Hugh Hefner with a pipe. And, and, well, I uh, like that idea more. That works for me. Yeah. <laughs> so, no so in this twisted society of you, that you guys have, so, mm -hmm. so what do you serve for dinner? Like walleye? Oh, no. I mean, what do you, well, do you guys well, serve? <laughs> no, it doesn't have to be fish. Uh, for okay, example, I, was I, thought was, I thought maybe it was a uh, little twisted. No, one one uh, particular uh, session came, comes to mind. We, Spencer, Chris, my, not Chris, uh, Spencer and some close friends drove down to, to Louisville, Kentucky, uh, to go to Rusty Wessel's place. And we went there, too, to pick up, um, I don't know if you know of him, Philippe Cantera, the uh, eco-tourist uh, guru from Uruguay. And we brought him back to Winnipeg, and he put on an incredible uh, Uruguayan barbecue for us out at the uh, out in the at the vet's place, in the country estate with horses and the whole bit. So this was a beautiful thing. I mean, we were all just beside ourselves with this splayed out lamb and this beef, you know, uh, on the barbecue. And we're talking about not just a regular barbecue; we're talking about a bed spring, like a king size bed spring, under which was a roaring fire, and then this. These animals splayed out on it. So it was great. 
Hey, Jimmy, you know. I bet there so was an orange on that one. Probably not. <laughs> I, I'm just wondering. I mean, you, you thought it was beef, but was there any of the horses missing? You know, from Argentina. I mean, you uh, might be well, eating horse. Never, I don't know. You never can tell. That's right. But I must admit, it was good. But that's that's the kind of memorable things we do. Sometimes we we go to a restaurant, uh, like we went to a restaurant, and it was so noisy because there was a kid's birthday party in the restaurant at the same time, and Rusty Wessel was presenting. So we all got up and we went back to Spencer's. Uh, Spencer Jack is a local wholesaler here. He owns uh, Fishinados. And uh, we went back to his place and we're sitting all over the floor and we're sitting on the edge of, uh, you know, little giant tubs with goldfish in them just to hear the presentation. And we ordered in pizza and, and so we made a night of it. It was a lot of fun. So we're pretty flexible. That sounds like a lot of fun. I, I think that's that is a way to attract another crowd. At least, you know, middle aged people with an appetite. Shut up. <laughs> so, Rob. Rob. Yes, sir. That would be you, right? Exactly. Oh, you know, well, you, you have gyms and stereo tonight, and, and we could just open up open up a can of whoop-ass and just take you out right now. I love you. Yeah, exactly. I'll put an orange in a sandwich. <laughs> no, you're wrong. I said, you have to tell about the orange sandwich. I my, my wife and I went out for dinner just before the podcast, and I had a, a pork sandwich, and they put orange relish on it. And it was like like somebody sprinkled tang on top of your pork sandwich. It wasn't very delicious, but I ate it. Oh, it came with beer, so I, you know, yeah. I, gotta, I mean, look at me. I haven't missed a lot of meals, that's don't, for sure. Don't put orange on pork, apparently. There we go. Right. Okay. So Fair before enough. We, before we skip this point, because that is so fascinating about the dead fish order, how can I be a part of it? Is there a sign-up sheet? Do I have a Facebook page, a website? Uh, what you do, basically, it's advertised on Spencer Jack's um, aficionado's site um, because he has really – made more contacts in the fish world overseas in Europe and so on than anybody I know. And so uh, it's usually advertised there. And, um, you know, all it is basically you pay your 25 bucks, you show up and you have a heck of a good time. That's all it is. There's no, there's no membership. It's a $25 upfront fee. Now in American dollars, that's three bucks, right? So you guys could afford that. Buck 75, yeah. Buck 75. Yeah, buck, buck 75. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> 25, right. Uh, I got the conversion yeah. down pat. It's pretty pretty bad. <laughs> but uh, no, you just show up and uh, you know buy your tickets ahead of time if you can, and uh, just drop in and have a heck of a good time. Yeah, we have a riot. We have mean? a guy who does. A, we have a sorry. We have a guy who does our auction. His name is Matt Flamand, and he knows nothing about fish. His girlfriend knows <laughs> a lot, but he knows nothing. But he does the auction, and you have never heard a more riotous auction in his life. In, in your life. I mean, he, he can't say anything knowledgeable about the fish. So all he does is browbeat people into bidding. And he's very good at that. So, you know, and I mean, he's an entertainment in his own right, you know. So, sorry. I'm sorry. I don't mean to monopolize the conversation. No, no, this, no, is no this, is, this is fascinating. So what do you guys put up for auction? What are you selling? Well, uh, oftentimes people that are coming will bring stuff. Um, but oftentimes Spencer... Uh, will take a hit like he has a pretty big wholesale here and uh, it's not uncommon for him to bring in 20 or 30 plants uh, maybe 20 or 30 bags of fish and he'll take a loss on them but you know he's so wanting to support the dead fish order the whole idea because part of it was you know most of it was his idea uh that he just contributes in that way and it's just a, it just makes for great camaraderie 
it's it's not like the you know usual fish club meeting is a little formal a little you know stilted this i mean a little uppity you can't yeah well maybe maybe you know when you have to go to your own club and introduce yourself to your own club members <laughs> it's a, it's a little discouraging no uh, is that your club or is that an l no no I don't mean to dump on them. I mean, you know, Canadians are fairly reserved as it is, right? They're not a let your hair down sort of people, I don't think. I don't uh, know. I can teach a chong, man. So. Yeah. And so sometimes it's a little, it a little, I don't know, cool, if you will. Uh, they just don't show much emotion. Now, not that I do, but, you know, I, I've been out to see a lot of clubs in my last few years and in the States. And boy, it's, you know, I mean, you're hugging everybody, right? Um, this is not a huggy club, but it's a great <laughs> people. They just need to understand that it's not poker. All right. They can, they can have a better faith than that. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's right. Thanks for sharing that with us. That's fantastic. Well, well, just to go down the other information before we, uh, go too far in side conversations, we do have a question from one of our listeners. Uh, one of our Discord listeners, Neo Cardinia, a message in. He's actually asked this a couple times before, and I apparently missed it on the podcast. But the question is, how best to eliminate hair uh, algae and black beard algae? Got any recommendations there, Jimothy? Me? Don't say nuke it. I don't know. I'm just feeling like you're going to say you, nuke it. You know me. My, my answer is always to pour a gallon of bleach in the tank and just walk away. I thought that's Adam's answer when he has blue octopus. <laughs> octopus. That's right. And, yeah. <laughs> The, uh, well, how about you, you, Adam? What do you recommend? Um, well, the pen, I don't know. Try shutting off the lights. Pull it all out. What? And pull all the hair algae out. And then what? Make a salad? Oh, my word. Kind of a weirdo. No, you? no <laughs> I, always pull, I always pull it out and shut the lights off. And then I you burn the hair algae because that's always fun. I feel like that's what he does to his in-laws. He just shuts the lights off and they'll go away. I, you know what? I'm going to take the hair out and pull it off my ears because that's a dumb advice, I tell you. All right, fine. <laughs> both, both of you guys had to your crack at it. How about, how about Mr. Cummings? Do you have any recommendations? I do, except I'm going to take the opposite tack on this. Uh, I love brush, black, black brush algae. If I can say it, I love it. You're from uh, Canada, aren't you? Well, I am. <laughs> can you tell my accent? Hey? hey. <laughs> anyway, anyway, We're from my, uh, northern Minnesota. It's nothing, nothing different. Yeah, you guys are all the same. Um, anyway, black brush algae is the only plant I can really grow. I have fish that are very, <laughs> very herbivorous. And uh, I, I, I'm proud of my black brush algae. I've got growth like you wouldn't believe. In fact, uh, I have a female, uh, Haplarca siticus, uh, parrot cichlid, who after the eggs hatch, uh, she'll blow the wrigglers right into the black brush algae. And they're safe in there. I mean, they're they're hidden away. And then about three, four days later, they emerge in a cloud. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not that anti-black brush algae. But if you do want to get rid of it, um, the only way you can get it off the glass is by using a razor blade, okay, or a scrubby, but you're going to wear yourself out. Um, and as far as on things, um, if the driftwood gets it on or, you know, like I use just plastic plants, uh, I'll take them outside and I'll power wash them. I just knock it out, you know, get it right down to the bare wood again and put the wood back in. Same with the rocks. I mean, I can scrub the rocks, but um, I just power wash the whole works. I put them out of my driveway and blast away, and then they go oh. back in. I know, I know Rob's got some, some answers. Oh, of sir. course I do. I'm, I'm loaded. So yeah. just to recap, Jimmy says bleach it. Adam says just shut the light off and ignore it. And uh, Jim says use it for Mr. Breeding. Cumming just says leave it there. It's great for breeding. 
So I'm going to go on the uh, uh, upfront and say that get some creatures. You know, there are American flagfish, mollies that eat it, but nothing near as vivacious as eradicating blackbeard algae and hair algae as a good old-fashioned Siamese algae eater. These things are peaceful. They do get large size, but I have them with tiny garbage endlers that Adam gave me. They're not and- garbage. <laughs> that's what an ongoing joke for not, not a joke just reality right there you go Adam, Adam <laughs> and they're, they're peaceful I, i'm serious i got these things probably close to five inch uh, inches i'm a biggest uh, female and docile they actually they're actually scared to come out of the plants and they have mowed the worst case of blackbeard algae i've ever seen down to absolutely nothing now there's tiny remnants or pieces that'll be left between mowing sessions from the Siamese algae eater, but that is by far the best way I have. Otherwise, you can spot check by using, um, you can get those needle, um, it's kind of like a, looks like a needle with a pump on it. You can get oh, a syringe. That, uh, but there's a special syringe that's uh, certainly long. I get oh, a heroin vape. syringge. Heroin, but it's not supposed to go <laughs> not, in you. Okay, no. It's for uh, mixing like vape juice. You can get to, go to your vape store. They have big syringes. They have long, long needles because they're supposed to fill bottles with them. I buy them from them because they're clean, they're sanitary and ready for your tank. And you can use hydrogen peroxide in them and squirt small amounts of hydrogen peroxide directly on your blackbeard or hair algae to kill it on the spot. And then it's just playing whack-a-mole until you can finally control it. So if you have three lifetimes, you can get this stuff fixed. Oh, no. Wouldn't that laser thing work too? I tried using the laser after we did that uh, video. Yeah, the uh, podcast with um, Sean Kramer, and it did not work. Black apparently absorbs the laser light, so but I could kill snails with it. That is confirmed. <laughs> yeah, thank you for taking care of all my ram's horn snails that I love so much at my house. You're welcome. But uh, hopefully that uh, answers your question there, Neo Cardinia. But uh, you got any news, Jimmy? How, what, what's your week been like? My, my week has been wonderful. Uh, it finally warmed up. Uh, the businesses around here in Minnesota are starting to open up, uh, starting to see some people come down to the lake, and, and I want to say life is getting back to normal. But it's nice to see people out and about. So, I mean, uh, the weather here has just warmed up very beautifully. We're 91 degrees today, above zero. Uh, Jim, you're only, what, 30 degrees up there, up in Canada? Oh, that's Celsius, 34, right? 34, yeah. 34 Celsius, Celsius that's right. That's so, so I don't know what world you live in, yes. but I decided to travel, right? We had to go pick up a camper with my buddy, and we're having to go through different uh, major cities. And, uh, you know, of course, the riots are happening. Small cities, it's like it never happened. Larger cities, there's small demonstrations all the way to Minneapolis. You've everybody's heard about that on the news. So that's uh, that was my week. I threw a couple of shotguns in the car, but the only thing that we uh, came across was a family of ducklings. Family, so, yeah. Did they did they rush the car? The ducks? they they did. Yeah. I'm not gonna say what happened, but uh, did you run them it's over? Not duck season. And, well, let's let's back up here a little bit. A, a couple of weeks ago, Memorial Weekend, you went and saw who? Who would you go see? Uh, Ohio Fish Rescue. Ohio Fish Rescue. So they just put out uh, today. Again, we're going to be uh, recording this a uh, little bit ahead of time, but uh, they just put out the video, and I actually went in their massive predator pond and went fishing. Rich caught me with my pants down, essentially. With uh, <laughs> I don't want to hear with this. The, me with the fishing pole on the, the pool. He freaked out, but they got a good video of it. And amazingly, um, peacock bass will swallow a bobber right out the surface of the water. And you're doing this. You're fishing. For peacock bass in the swimming pool? Right in his swimming pool. So I'm hitting alligator gar, his platinum alligator gar hitting it, the peacock bass. It was a lot of fun fishing at an Ohio Fish Rescue. There you go. And, and I, I, isn't there, 
thing is to rescue fish and put them in a better forever home. Right. And then, it's and, and also so, the and then VIP fishing experience. VIP fishing. So how much was that? An extra two hundred dollars. I that is that is uh, by donation, sir. That's right. Off to Big Rich. So if, if you check it out, Rob uh, was just on with Josh on it's on YouTube coming up here very shortly. Uh, it's so already out, already out. So Rob's Rob was down visiting at Ohio Fish Rescue, the world's largest fish rescue, and uh, they have some exciting news coming out too. We won't spoil that for anybody. None. But um, check it out. Check it out. So Adam, before yeah. we last talked with you, it's a couple podcasts ago. We tried to wish you happy birthday. It was his birthday. It was yeah. his birthday. So uh, happy belated birthday. Glad you got a PC in your back. There you go. Thank All you. Right, so we should start deep diving into the topic that we came here for. Mr. Cumming, I have little to no experience with Madagascar species. And you, sir, happen to be the foremost expert that I at least uh, know of as far as media, the following, um, CARES documentation. So what got you into the fish hobby and why Madagascar species interest you? Well, those two things that you just mentioned are so separated in time that I have to deal with them individually. Um, well, let's, let's start with how you got into fish keeping. That's, we ask that to everyone. I started with fish in 1950 when I was six years old. And um, I've had fish steadily for about 65 years now, believe it or not. Um, so that's why they uh, probably I'm the oldest, the, the elder statesman in Canada for longevity. Um, but it was just a matter of I loved living things. Uh, they could be amphibians, reptiles, fish. It just that fish became a more obvious um, thing to concentrate on because they were more available. So, uh, yeah, I started out with a platy in a gallon jar with some bird gravel on the bottom. And uh, the platy had two or three young, and uh, I've never looked back. I, I've been hooked ever since. But my uh, experience with Madagascar cichlids began in about 1992. Um, a friend of mine who had very deep pockets um, and had to have the best and the newest fish and the most expensive fish going uh, purchased some Paretroplus menorambo. Now, this is even before they were named um, and given species status. And I remember going over to his place and looking in his 10-foot-long tank and saying, wow, those are interesting-looking saltwater fish because they do look like tangs uh, quite a bit, the saltwater tangs. And, you know, he said, oh, yeah, they're really special. Uh, I got them, you know, f through a special friend and a deal and all this stuff. And I said, well, good luck with them. And then I contacted them about a month later, and they had died. And I don't know why. He doesn't know why, but uh, that's the last I saw of them. Then in 1997, I happened to go to an ACA convention it was in Chicago, I believe, and um, somebody was selling some uh, paratilapium um, polini, and I brought six back home and um, loved the fish. I mean, they were really nice. Uh, uh, I couldn't breed them, had trouble breeding them. A fellow friend asked me if he could take them for a while and see what he could do with them. He spawned them. He sold the young to all the pet stores, probably made enough money to retire, gave me the pair back. I still couldn't spawn the buggers. So... <laughs> What so the anyway. hell? It's like, it's like Jimmy's problem with Playcos. Yeah, it sounds very familiar. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, you know, I, I had uh, the last of those fish lasted 13 years, and it kept me kind of in touch with it. And about 10 or 11 years ago, I had up an opportunity to get some Madagascan cichlids. Our local wholesaler here had set up a bit of a, a channel uh, with Leif de Mason from Old World Exotic Fish in uh, Homestead, Florida. 
and uh, Leif is the North American presence when it comes to the commercial aspect of them. And so Spencer would order some in, and I'd pick them up, and I thought they were interesting. But, you know, they, after a while, they, they, they grow on you, really, um, because they're so mysterious. They're so different. Uh, you have to problem solve. You, gotta, uh, you work your way up the learning curve, uh, because there's very little literature out there on them. And um, if it weren't for a, a friend who lives in San Antonio that you probably know of, his name's Jose Gonzalez. He's the U.S. Uh, guru when it comes to Madagascar cichlids. Um, between the two of us, we kind of got the act together and, and produced them in some numbers. And, and really, it became quite a passion with me, and I know it is for him. So I've had them seriously now for about 10, 11 years, I guess. And... Um, you know, every time something happened, it was an event in my fishkeeping life. I would get excited. I'd be like a giddy kid, you know, uh, uh, waiting for them to spawn. And finally they spawn. And I happened to be there with my video camera. And, you know, uh, it was a, a momentary magic moment, if you will. So, uh, no, I've been hooked on them. Uh, the more I've been into them, the more I've appreciated the dire straits that they're in. Uh, in Madagascar, they're so... Uh, endangered you know that likely in 10 years they won't be there at all so um yeah it, it's just something that it grows on you and the conservation aspect tends to take more and more over and uh, i want to go to madagascar i was in fact planning to go next uh, september <clears throat> my friend uh, jose was going to go this september but the covid19 uh, you know uh, flummoxed that so yeah, it's been a, it's been a nice go uh, it, it's not they're not the only fish i keep that's my problem i I still love Central American cichlids, uh, South Americans uh, to die for, and I have the Indian cichlids as well. So, you know, I've got four of them on the go, four groups of fish. My fatal flaw is that once I have a fish, I can't get rid of it. I just kind of fall in love with the thing, and it's got to live out its life in my tanks. So that's my dilemma. And a good problem it is to have. So how many tanks are, are you running right now? Well, if I could go further than I have, I would. Um, let me start by saying that when my wife and I moved into this house, um, we decided where my fish would go. We. <laughs> yeah, she did. Yeah. So, so we put a piece of painter's tape on the floor. Now, I have a pretty substantial basement. It's about 2,200 square foot basement. But about 800 square feet of that is devoted to my fish room. And um, But this piece of tape is still on the floor. It's kind of tattered <laughs> and so on, but it's still there. And... My wife does point to it, point to it quite frequently, and says, "Oh, the the tape is still there, is it?" <laughs> now you have to get very creative and inventive as to how to get more tanks in a confined space. Uh, for example, you'll never find a sump under any of my tanks because it's a place where a tank would go, right? So no sumps in my fish room. Um, you can only stack tanks so high in an eight foot high ceiling, but I've got tanks stacked twos and threes all over the place so i've had to go vertical um oh and so in answer to your question sorry uh it's usually between 35 and 40 tanks not a spectacularly large number uh but i tried to make more bigger ones and i kind of phase out the smaller ones so i've got 10 180s and then uh, they go down from there to 150s 125s and so on yeah, I, yeah, just a, just a little guy. I have found out that it's hard to sneak in a 180 without the wife knowing about it. Right? Very you might be able to take a, a 20 gallon long or something when she's you know taking a nap. But the 180, 
as it goes down the uh, steps like a bobsled. <laughs> makes well, a lot true. of racket. Like, no, why are you sending me to the spa today? I don't understand this. <laughs> I have to wait till she goes out of town, actually. There you go. Try moving the tape, just adding, like, another. <laughs> Move That's the what tape. I do. There no, you go. Move the tape. To put on with crazy glue. <laughs> oh, okay. I think it's there for the permanent duration of this house's lifetime. Um, no, I, I quite like the fact that there's a containment to my hobby because it adds an additional dimension to keeping fish. You know, uh, like how to get more fish in that room, and uh, but th then it's in conflict with this idea that I can't get rid of a fish, right? So right now I've got these incredible fish that I want to breed, and I've got no room for them. I mean, they're in crowded tanks. Um, that's why I want to get my pond going because that's my uh, my release valve. Uh, you know, it gives me an opportunity to move maybe a hundred fish outside and open up two or three tanks. So then I have a great five months ahead of me playing with you the ones that. I... <laughs> So the other thing you can always do is, is just go up in your closet and lay down a piece of tape and tell her this is your half the closet. And then you might, <laughs> then you might have something to negotiate with later on. When you uh, would you like me to introduce you to my wife? She's wonderful, but you don't you don't do tricks like that. No, you don't you do don't, tricks. No? You don't you don't survive that. No, no. <laughs> that would be too bold. No, I, I'm just kind of kidding around about that because she does support my hobby. I mean, any any anybody who cuts my pond liner, you know, is on your side. There but, you go. Uh, but uh, you know, there is a limit to how much room I should take. And uh, I'm not trying to run a business. I'm just a hobbyist. And, uh, you know, uh, limitations are good for me uh, because I'm afraid I have what I, I, some people call it a glut personality, i.e. you don't know when to quit. So um, if I ever start something, I've got to take it to its end point. And with fish, that's difficult because yes. there is no end point, right? You keep going and you keep going. Uh, that's why sometimes the fish I pick are fish that are limited, like Indian cichlids, for example, there are only three species. So that's a very self-limiting thing. And Malagasy cichlids, same thing. There's only 10 available to the hobby, so I know the 10, that's it. Now, South America and Central is a different story, and that's my problem. <laughs> yeah, uh, go on. yeah and anyway, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's all fun. As far as the Madagascar varieties, right? Because when, when you Google Madagascar cichlid, immediately it just pops up is the Plenty cichlid. You know, what other cichlids are there and how are they different than the traditional, you know, South American other cichlids? They're cooler. <laughs> well, okay. First of all, um, there are basically three groups um, of cichlids there that are in the hobby. Uh, the paratalapia that you mentioned, they're probably more like Oscars, I guess, if you wanted to liken them to something that might be in the South American clade, um, because they're like big puppy dogs, you know, they'll... They have lots of personality. Uh, they interact with one another a lot uh, with their owner. Uh, they're just a rough-and-tumble type fish and uh, beautiful, you know, to speak of, too. Um, so that's a whole group of fish. That, I mean, there's several Paul and I around, but they're different populations, and um, there's a lot of uncertainty as to what their true identity is, to tell you the truth. Um then there's some that might be the most like centrals, um, the tychochromines. Uh, they are mostly like the uh, thorichthys from Central America. They're all uh, substrate pickers. They have the long sloping snouts with the underslung mouth. Um, and again, they're a very active personal fish. And if people are thinking, whoa, these are going to be hard to breed, that's not the case. You get a pair 
And even though they might reach 10, 11 inches, they'll be breeding at two or three. So they're very neat to keep and a good starter fish. And then there's the whole group of the Paratroplus, which are the, uh, I guess, the, <laughs> the high-end uh, Malagasy fish. Um, high-end because, number one, they're going to cost a lot more to get. And number two, they do have some tricky aspects to them. Um, I mean, people can breed them, but... Raise the young might be a different story. You know, there are lots of little tricks and things that you have to do to, to pull them through. And then just when you think you've got it beat, um, you'll come down and find the tank half dead. You know, something's happened. So I've had my ups and downs with them. Uh, I think I've got it pretty much a, a template for success now. Um, but it's, it's always work. You have to work at it. Yeah. Uh, but they're gorgeous. I mean, what can you say? Any fish that has... The body shape and color and habits and so on, they're just so different. So, so different. So you're going to have to help me again because normally I I try to uh, Google along with you when you pull up some of these species that I haven't heard of because, uh, again, I'm pulling up the the plenty cichlid and that's just been called like black diamond cichlid or starry night cichlid. And Mm -hmm. that's really the only one I know of. And that is the stunning one that, you know, if someone's looking for a cichlid that I know of, they're going to aim to just because that beautiful black uh, sheen with the almost pearlescent white spots. But uh, Absolutely. The, the first one, what is the spelling on that? So I can follow along. The the Paratalapia polonii? Or, well, I, I say, I say polonii. Some say polini. Uh, Europeans say polini. Um, but Paratalapia, that's the starry night. Um, then there's also paratri- uh, pardon me, uh, Paratalapia species andapa, which is um, a larger fish uh, with much bigger spangles on it, and it has uh, a lot of personality. It's a big, rough, tough son of a gun. Um, but I love that fish. Now, as far as getting them in the States, you'll find a fish called bleaker eye uh, advertised here and there. Uh, in fact, most people... Uh, know it as bleaker eye. Um, I've tried to set the story straight if I knew the story entirely myself, but bleaker eye uh, apparently was, has never been in the hobby. Or if it was, it was many years ago and lost to the hobby, but and it's thought to be now extinct in Madagascar. Uh, yet a lot of the suppliers that do pro, you know provide them for shops and so on uh, list them as bleaker eye, uh, but I believe they're a polen eye. And then the, uh, the, the whole dilemma of large spot and small spot, well, every population has different spots. There are at least seven or eight different species, uh, populations now that they've found, maybe even more they exist. And uh, they aren't sure whether they're all Polanyi or not. They um, used to call them all Polanyi. In fact, Paul Loisel was a proponent of that idea that they were all simply different variants, you know, uh, geographical variations of Polanyi. But now they're not sure. So now they've just designated them according to their uh, location, their, where, they're, where they're caught. So my, that's up in the air. My guess would be that eventually they'll probably separate them all out because, like with Europlatus, um, I do a lot of Madagascar stuff, and mm-hmm. with Europlatus, we had like satanics, and then we had large form satanics. We had Ebenawi, and then we had the little Ebenawi, and then they had the black mouth and the white mouth, and then the black tongue, and they ended always ended up being like every single one of them is a different species. So that would be yeah. my guess with the pollen eye or the bleaker eye also. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. Polen, they're all reptiles, correct, Adam? 
Yeah, those are all geckos. Those are all reptiles. All reptiles. Right. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a very parallel course in terms of the way they're being treated. And uh, that is the latest, um, you know, set of thoughts on it, that they are probably, they've been isolated enough that there's been enough species, uh, divergency in them, in them that they may very well be uh, considered different species now. Uh, many of them. I mean, they're doing, uh, you know, DNA on them and testing and so on to try to find this out. But it's very slow moving. I mean, the last report that I really heard on any of this was from 2011. So, I mean, we're talking nine years ago, and nothing definitive has happened since then. Uh, it takes money, and it takes uh, commitment, <laughs> uh, mainly the money thing, and um, conservation efforts, and science needs to be involved, and they're just not able to in these times. Now, for, for the listeners listening, these aren't cichlids that you're going to go and find at your Petco's or your Pet Smarts for the majority of them. No, you won't. Be because of any. Um, actually, I used to carry them. Well, you were a petco, but yeah, you had the, the bleaker eyes. I think you used to carry. I used to carry them, and I used to have catria. Um, That's a fish that we would dearly love to see come back into the hobby. They are available every now and then. I catria? think I just catria. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I'm having a heart seizure here. <laughs> hey, I have them. Are you sure? Now. Are you I, sure? I've seen them on a secret list. Wow. So they come in occasionally, and I think they come from Czechoslovakia. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, um, wow! If you if I could somehow get more information on that, um, we've been dying to get them over here in North America. I mean, they were here as you know fairly common about ten years ago, eleven years ago. I mean, but you know they're not the most engaging fish in the world, I guess you could say. Uh, yet you know we serious hobbyists look well past that you know if it doesn't have bling hey that's a fish i want i i want the gray one you know but uh wow that's surprising to hear that that would be incredible if it actually were available somewhere now i sent i've sent my fish you know to the eastern Bloc countries before i've sent them to slovakia and to poland um so i'm wondering i wonder you see i know a lot of people over there maybe i should start asking a few questions that might be interesting to do yeah, they are my they were my favorite fish. The only problem is is that when I had them and I had them in a 75 gallon, I got ick. And yeah. I don't know how to treat I was going to ask you how do you treat ick with Madagascar fish cuz you just uh, it's a, if, you, if you don't catch it within the first few hours, you'll have dead fish. Um I've never had a Madagascar cichlid survive ick unless I treated it within hours of when I first noticed the ick. Um, they have no tolerance to it, no natural tolerance. Uh, in fact, a friend of mine who lives in Saskatoon had a beautiful tank of Mad- Madagascan cichlids, uh, a 750-gallon tank. He had Menoramble, Maculatus, Damii, uh, Kynari oh, uh, in this tank. Um, he didn't pay attention to it for a few days. He lost them all, everything. So he's coming into oh. town to pick up a few from me. He wants to take a few back and try to get them going again. But, uh, yeah, he lost everything through Ick. And I've had two or three episodes where I've lost them with Ick. And I, I'm fearful. Like, I want to put them in my pond again. I had them in my pond last year, and they did very well. But there's always that chance that if you get an Ick outbreak, and in a pond, of course, you can't monitor them that closely. And, uh, you know, if they come down with Ick, I'll end up losing them all for sure. But well, I'll just keep you- the temperature. Sorry? No, no, go ahead, finish, please. I'm sorry. No, I'm just going to say, if I can, if I can keep the water good and you know good and clean, uh, 
and um, keep the water temperature up, which I, I do because I have a, an immersion heater that I use in my pond, uh, then I think I'll be okay on that. And I didn't have any trouble last year. But okay. yeah, ick is the one thing that uh, Malagasy cichlids have no resistance to whatsoever. So, and you know, there's the old approach, while well, you can use salt and heat, or you can use a medication. The problem with the salt and heat is, well, the heat anyway, it takes a good 10 days for it to run through its life cycle. And by then they'll be dead. I mean, um, so you need to have something like uh, ick out or ick X. I mean, there are these various medications that you can get. And uh, they would be the ones that, uh, you know, I would use because they give immediate effects. Okay, and that actually worked because I thought that you couldn't use that because of the copper, it would kill them. That's what somebody had said at one time. Uh, not so much. Actually, um, the copper, they're not particularly um, um, susceptible to copper problems. I haven't found oh, that. that. I've used it a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I don't know. I, that would be something I'd have to look into further. But uh, it's good to hear that you know that. And, you know, now I'm a bit wary. But uh, all I know is that you've got to act fast. And if you don't act fast, you're going to lose them. Yeah. I lost I lost my Katra. I had a nice tank of Katra. I had them for like three and a half years. Yep. And then, ick, dead, like overnight. And I'm just like, what? And I, yeah. I've just yeah. been bummed. Have you guys used UV filters at all? That's how I treat it. Well, that's what I'm going. That's what I'm going to start doing is put UV filters on when I get back into the into my fish. I'm going to try and find uh, Madagascar stuff again, and I'm going to put UV filters on it. That's the only thing I was thinking of is to combat it. You've explained yeah, it, Jim. I think that's a good idea, actually. And I, I, when I think about my pond, I do have UV out there, and that, that would be probably a good reason why, if anything happened, I, you know, nothing would happen. So, yeah, that's a good idea. And then maybe feed them their guppies. You're right. They're, They're not healthy diet. of handler guppies, lots of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so how do these fish differ from the other cichlids? Clearly we're learning uh, that they can sand copper, so there's some myths about uh, some Madagascar cichlids out there. How, how do yeah. they differ? Well, firstly, they do best in groups. Um, very often South American fish do best in groups as well. For example, I find heroes get along very well when you have maybe six to eight in a tank. That's the Severums, of course. Um, but they do best in groups. I would say six to ten would be ideal. Uh, and they're very slow growing. So you have time to, um, you know, move them up to larger tanks over years. It takes several years for a Menorambo, for example, to get to a good 10 inches to 12 inches. That might take five, six years. They continually grow, but very slowly. Um, but they will start breeding quite small. I mean, at four inches or so, they will after a year, year and a half. Um, I think the main thing is that you have to be very mindful of the fact that they, I'm trying to put my finger on it, they don't have any special dietary requirements particularly, although the Peretroplus are built for eating shellfish, snails, um, shrimp. That type of thing. And so I, I feed them, for example, um, the uh, krill, large krill. They, they seem to enjoy the resistance that the shell gives them when they eat them. And I think that gives them a, a good replacement for what they feed on in nature. Um, kind of like Jimmy of, loves uh, Cheetos. He likes the resistance in his mouth. Yeah, it's got just the right feel to them. Well, they seem to go for it and it does them well anyway. Uh, if I give them a few good feedings of that, they'll usually breed. Another so the thing about them. You know that. So does he. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I could try, I could try Cheetos. I never thought that they maybe they'd take Cheeto. 
it's very fattening for fish. I don't recommend it. Cheetos no. are excellent. No. Maybe well, for maybe for goldfish. You know, they can handle right. that that uh, that that uh, just roughage, you know. Right. So when, when you're out calling in favors and, and, and getting in these special cichlids, what can people expect for prices retail? Well, again, Canadian, you know, pricing is based upon local pricing. I mean, if you buy a fish here and it's $65, you're going to buy a fish in the U.S. and it'll be $65, except, you know, for us, it's uh, a different dollar, right? But um, if you get maybe a four-inch um, Paretroplus up here, it would be in the fifty to sixty dollar range, and um, my my suggestion is if you can get them small, get them small. I mean, there is always a risk that you might have more trouble raising them up from a tiny size, but I find that it's really good to get six to ten small ones, maybe two inches, and then keep them in the same tank throughout their lifetime, and uh, they'll gradually grow. And you know, after a year or so, like I say, they'll start looking like adult fish, and they might even want to spawn for you. And uh, they get a very strong pecking order. It's um, not not so much a pecking order, but it's almost like they become friends. Believe it or not, because I've had I've whoa, had the whoa. opportunity. Cichlids I, don't become friends. All right, I don't care what you're trying to tell me. <laughs> friends well, with benefits. None of them are nice they're, to each other. Yeah, with they're all breeding. Well, the aggression with these is not that great. I mean, if you put them in a crowd, they don't. There's no aggression. You're not going to see a split fin or a missing scale or anything like that. Even though they've got the teeth where, you know, if they wanted to, they could descale their tank mates. But you're not going to see that if you have six or ten. They just don't care. <laughs> they just go about their business, you know. Um, now, you put two in a tank, and then you might have an issue. Put four in a tank, and they're two pair. Yeah, they'll be at one another. But put six or eight in a tank, a lot of structure, maybe a few other species. And then you're going to have a nice, calm, basically calm setting. It it reminds me a little bit of tiger barbs. With tiger barbs, I've always had luck with it. If I've had 8, 10, 12 of them versus having three or four, because they're always constantly banging on each other, yep. for lack of a better word and stuff. And I've had better luck with a, a larger group. So that makes total sense to me when you're saying that. Yeah, they, uh, well, for basically, there's just too much for them to concentrate on. Uh, they don't have the greatest attention span as it is. Um, there's been a bit of a bum rap um, attributed to them over the years that they are so inept at parenting that they'll never ever be successful parents in a tank. That is, they'll never get the young up swimming with the parents and you know raising them beyond that. But a few of us have done some interesting studies on that, and we found that if you if you keep them in a setting where there isn't any vibration in the water, like if you don't put a power head in there, but just maybe use air for your filters and so on or external filters, power filters, that's okay, um, because it's a vibration in the water that drives them crazy, and it literally di drives them to distraction. They have a, a very intricate connection between the swim bladder and the bones in the head, and if there's any vibration in the water, it translates immediately to vibrations that go to the head and the sensory pores, and uh, it really disturbs them. So if you put them in a nice, quiet setting, uh, put them on a solid floor so that when you walk by, they don't have the floor bounding, you know, bouncing and creating waves in the tank, like sound waves. Um, they'll raise their young. And, they, they, you know, it's it's incredible to see a, a cloud of young around these things. But Jimmy's uh, yeah, just in there with his, with his notepad going, nope, I can't have them. Too much rock music in the house. <laughs> Actually, this is, this is making a lot of sense. God, I yeah, wish well, I talked to you when I still had my fish. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it's been interesting uh, to see this in effect because, 
you know, I, I've heard so many reports about them not being able to take their young past the hatching stage. In fact, usually they eat the eggs before they, you know, even hatch. And there's another thing. They take five to seven days to hatch. So uh, if you leave them in with the parents, then there's always a, a fungus issue that you might have to worry about. Um, if the water conditions are really good, you'll probably get a good hatch and a good number of fry coming out of it. But, you know, if the water isn't 100%, you're going to maybe get 10% hatching. Just the rest are overtaken by fungus. Uh, that was the first thing that surprised for me. I, I pulled a spawn way, way back when I first bred them. And I'm waiting for them to hatch. And I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And the seventh day, they finally hatched. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, I figured, you know, <laughs> this is a long haul. So there's another thing about parenting. I mean, a South American, Central American, in 48 to 72 hours, they have wrigglers on the bottom. These poor things have to wait a week before the young come out. And then they don't hatch all at once. They hatch over the course of about a day, a day and a half. And the parents are going crazy looking for them as they fall off the rock. And, oh, it's, you know, kind of pulling for them. You know, you can do it. Come on. You can do it. <laughs> Is there a reason why they take so long to hatch? I don't know. Uh, it's just the way they have developed physiologically. I mean, to me, it would seem like it could be an advantage in one way in that they are, I don't know, able to hatch with some good size to them. The young are generally quite large. Uh, if they hatch very quickly, I don't know. That's a good question. That's something I'd have to really look into. Um, it's just the way it is. Um, you know, when, yeah. when, you, when, you, when you look at mammals, you know, elephants have a huge gestation period. And, mm -hmm. and I would imagine, like you said, with a larger size, it's going to take longer for them to develop. And but they're off on the right foot, and they're they're already halfway uh, grown compared to, say, a baby angelfish or a guppy. Yeah, uh, yeah, they do have some, like I say, they do have some size to them. Uh, the, the eggs are slightly larger than the average Central or South American fish, that's for sure. Although I do have a, a, a Central fish called Thomasiclatuba, and I've never seen a fish with eggs as large as that, other than mouth brooders from africa which i don't i don't like <laughs> sorry <laughs> people shouldn't start turning us off because i don't like uh the rift lake cichlids but anyway that's the way it is um yeah but these eggs are oh, huge in the of our viewers no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> they do hatch in in three to four days and they, they're absolutely like a quarter inch when they they hatch it's amazing how big they are but they have small spawns right so again it's like uh you get a big a big fry big fish but it's fairly mobile, fairly quickly, but there aren't that many of them. And the parents can run herd, you know, kind of look after them quite well in that small numbers. But some of my big Malagasy cichlids are able to put down 600 to 1,000 eggs. I mean, uh, I have a 14-inch uh, uh, Peretropolis Dambabe, and uh, she's fully capable of putting 1,000 eggs down. <laughs> so, you know, they certainly have large enough numbers if the fish are big enough. So to go over a couple of questions on Discord, because we got uh, people listening in. Again, if you sure. guys want to join these podcasts live, we do not broadcast them on any platform. you got to join our Discord to come uh, join these fun sessions. Um, again, we do these Monday nights around 7 Central. Uh, sometimes they're different, but that's most of the most every night. You can find our Discord by going to AquariumGuysPodcast.com. On the bottom of the website, you'll find our Discord link. But uh, again, I'm trying to follow some of these uh, comments that they have uh, for questions. And one of them came up that, is there any small varieties of Madagascar cichlids, such as you see like uh, German rams? Well, you won't get anything quite that small, but there is a beautiful little one. I'll use it as uh, an example. It's called uh, Peretropolis keeneri. 
It, um, it gets about five inches long total length. It's uh, feisty as heck, really an attractive little on-the-go fish. Uh, fairly easy to breed. If you're a person that loves a definite pattern to a fish, this is not the fish for you <laughs> because it has the most unusual non-pattern you've ever seen. It's simply gray, um, black, white, yellow splotches all over. Just it's like a mottled uh, fabric. Uh, in fact, um, Leif de Mason uh, coined the name Calico Damba, uh, Calico being a fabric of some sort. But uh, it, it looks like fabric. It really does. It just has this random speckling all over it. And um, usually when they mature, they get an orange nose, which is really quite an attractive little feature. Uh, but you can keep a colony of eight to 10 of those in, a say, a 70 to 100-gallon tank quite nicely, and they get along very well, always on the go, and uh, they would be a really good starter fish to work with. How I do you spell that, that first word, poletroplus? Paretroplus, P-A-R-E-T-R-O-P-L-U-S, paretroplus. And keeneri is K-I-E-N-E-R. And of course, it has to be one of these uh, species that immediately pop up on the uh, you know IUCN red list. Oh yeah, they're all fun. <laughs> they're all there. Everything in Madagascar is on the IUCN red list. If they aren't on the red list, then there is no data on them. <laughs> yeah. You know, very few of them are are secure. Very few. Yeah. And the thing is, um, I mean, they just did a recent reassessment of them, and every one of them, every one of them, to to a species has gone down one notch in terms of uh, vulnerability or how, how deeply endangered it is. Like something that was vulnerable is now endangered. Something that's endangered is now critically endangered. It's, it's that bad. Yeah. And that's not only the cichlids, of course, that's, we're talking the killifish, all of the pachypanchaks and, and then the, the rainbow the fishes, the, the, the bedosha and the rayocles are all, all endangered. So so are you seeing these, uh, these Madagascar species breed differently than other cichlids? Are, are some of them mouth brooders? How does that go? Because, again, I'm coming from a foreign world that I don't have mm -hmm. friends that have these except for Adam. And I've never had a – except for like the uh, um, well, the nickname Starry Night Cichlid. Right. But other than that, I have no experience with this. So how do they, they breed? Well, they're all subs substrate spawners. Uh, there are no mouth brooders in, in – uh, Madagascar at all. And they'll simply lay their eggs in a patch on a rock, on a piece of driftwood. Um, nothing in particular attracts them. Uh, I have the only thing is if you have a pair in the same tank, they will spawn consistently on the same object all the time. They will never change. I've had pairs spawn 10, 15 times on that same rock, on the same side of the same rock. I mean, they are truly creatures of habit. They seem to recognize that there is an you know an optimum spot for them to put their eggs down where maybe they're better protected there or something. They they seem to sense it anyway. So, um, but they'll put down their eggs just as normal cichlids do. Um, one thing is they've got huge ovipositors. The males and females uh, genital papillae are are huge, and there's no difference between them. Like in South America, Central American, the um, genital papillae of the male. Is, is pointed and kind of angled back, right? And the female is more like a little elephant trunk kind of bent forward. Well, all Malagasy cichlids have the same genital, genital parts, and there's no way you can sex them by venting them. 
Um, you just have to see which one the eggs are coming out of and which one the eggs are not coming out of. And that's how you'll tell them apart. Uh, there's no real sexual differences in any of the paretroplus other than maybe for fish of the same age, maybe the males might be a bit larger. That's about it. Do but they now? Have... Oh, sorry. Do they form lifelong pair bonds? Uh, well, I have a pair of, uh, as I say, a pair of Damba Bay that have been bonded now for six years. Now, they, they haven't got much choice because they're the only two in the tank, along with a few others of another species. But as long as nothing disrupts the pair bond, um, yeah, they'll they'll hang in there. Um, one thing I have noticed is that if the eggs disappear, if they're either eaten or I pull most of them, I'll always try to leave some young behind because it tends to keep the pair bond intact. But uh, once the fry are all gone, it's almost like both parents kind of nod their heads and say, well, that one's over. Let's now just wait till the next time. Like, you know, with Central American cichlids, the male, he gets mad and he beats the female to crap. And, you know, so that's the end of it. You've lost one of your two of the pair. But I don't see that with these. I see a, a very different sort of thing. They both seem to come to a mutual endpoint where they both are of the same mind. Now, I hate to talk in those terms because it sounds like I'm thinking like a fish, which I yeah. tend to do more than my wife would like to. Wait, wait. What's, <laughs> that? What's that movie? It's... uh. It's like well, from the sixties, seventies. It's got uh, I think Don Knotts in it. This is a guy that the fish, was, Mr. Limpet. There you go, Mr. Limpet. Oh, there you yeah, go. yeah, yeah. I yeah. didn't watch that too much. Well, you know, my wife will catch me in front of the tank every once in a while, opening my mouth and pretending I've got gills. So, you know, I'm <laughs> kind of kind of embarrassed when she sees me doing that. But well, that, no, I that's, think his, <laughs> that's his move. You know, are, are you naked? I'm just wondering. <laughs> no, get your clothes on, right? All right. I have to have a little talk with my fish now and then. I mean, I have to encourage them to do the right thing. And, you know, I kind of I, I look on myself as a choreographer in a way. I'm saying that tongue in cheek in a way. But I can usually tell when the fish are ready to breed. And if I want them to breed in a place where I can get a good video, I'll set it up that way. And they usually fall for it. That's really amazing. You know, I can figure out where they want to best breed, and uh, th that's why I get so many good videos. I mean, I'm not blowing my horn about the videos, but I'm, maybe I'm very lucky. But uh, they always seem to accommodate me with uh, where they do their thing, you know. Okay, so on the podcast, we've always trolled about Jimmy's breeding playlist because he always makes this joke that all is he, he's a big uh, angel breeder, right? So he always mm -hmm. makes the joke that, you know, when a storm comes, it'll be 9 p.m., and every single one of his tanks will sp start spawning at the same time at 9 o'clock. Well, yep. we have a theory that, you know, it's because that's when he plays, you know, Marvin Gaye's at 9 o'clock. <laughs> so uh, now that we know that a lot of, of these course. Madagascar cichlids are affected by vibration and sound, you know, what playlist do you use? Oh. <laughs> we got him, boys. He just fell off his chair. We got him, boys. <laughs> the sounds of silence. <laughs> there you go. Uh, got Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, I thought you were going for disturb there. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, do not disturb. Um, you know what? I just let nature take its course. I know pressure change is an issue. I know water changes can spur it on. Uh, I also know that Madagascan cichlids are seasonal breeders. They tend to breed between, say, January, February through till June and July. And oh, then usually take take a bit of a hiatus after that. Although I have some pairs that just throw caution to the wind and they'll breed all year. And I'll have fish out in my care and they'll breed out there too. So, uh, no, but, but they are tend to be, they tend to be seasonal breeders and it's more in line with the changing of the seasons there. It's just genetically in them to, uh, carry that with them. 
do you have any certain foods that trigger them to spawn? I, I, yeah, I had great great luck with with frozen bloodworms. Well, bloodworms yeah. can be good, but these are are usually big fish, and you got to give a mass of bloodworms to them. But I find the krill, the frozen krill, uh, works for me. Um, again, they they seem to really appreciate that crunchy exoskeleton that the krill have, and uh, they take them with a lot of vigor. And if yeah, if if I want to get them sort of in the breeding frame of mind, I'll give them. Um, a day or two of the krill, and then water changed, and you know, usually something happens. A little Simon and Garfunkel. There you go. We got some more <laughs> questions from Discord, and while we're on this one, uh, to answer in a shorter format, because I know this could be a long a format question, what is the biggest triumph and pitfall that you've had with breeding these fish? The biggest triumph was breeding one particular Malagasy cichlid, uh, Heretroplus neurosati. It's... Um, called Lamina, the common name, or at least the Malagasy fishermen call it Lamina. It gets to be about six inches. It's a beautiful orange color, but it's got an attitude like there's no tomorrow. And that's a fish that if you put two in a tank, chances are they'll either pair or they'll kill. Um, That's where you need to put like 20 in a tank. That's the best way of doing it. Uh, When I bred them for the first time, I I tell you, I was like a kid on Christmas morning. I was just sitting there with my video camera, giggling away thinking I am really watching something that I never thought I would see. Um, It was really a treat to breed those. Um, And then I guess some of my losses may have been that same very fish. Uh, When I think of the low points, um, when I'm speaking and I go away for two, three days, and sometimes I'm away for quite a long time, like last spring I was in uh, Sweden and Denmark and and England, and I was away for 23 days. And... uh, I always lose fish when I'm away. My son is really good at looking after them, and even my wife pitches in. But, you know, they just don't have a, that experience to spot something that may be going wrong. So I've lost fish that way. And um, I've come back and found a whole tank of maybe beautiful fry that I was hoping to raise uh, entirely dead, you know. Um, or just having a power failure. Uh, that happened about a month and a half ago. We had a power outage for about eight hours, and I lost my air supply, and I ended up losing a, a complete spawn of uh, a Thomasic Latuba. So, you know, these are sort of hits in the gut, right? <laughs> kind of a, it's a punch, you take it. But, you know, if, 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 I, if I backed off from these setbacks, I would have been out of this hobby 50 years ago. But, you know, you have to keep pushing forward, and you have to keep trying to do your best. Um, you know, you don't want to do anything stupid or silly. I'm in the process right now of putting in a, a backup generator. So if I do have a power outage, it'll immediately kick in and uh, supply my air. If the air air supply is on, I won't lose any fish. I know that. So, uh, yeah, bringing a particular fish can be very exciting, that to me. Um, just in terms of highlights generally in the hobby is uh, – going away on these speaking engagements and meeting some of the nicest people all over the world. It's, it's like the hobby is alive and well in certain circles. And, uh, you know, to see that firsthand is really a, a, a high for me. Um, so again, a couple more questions on Discord just to go through these. Mm-hmm. How frequently does hybridization happen uh, with Madagascar species? Um, is it isolated? Um I'm just trying to go through other examples here. Is the Madagascar environment variable enough that you'll see a consistent uh, um, 
speciation. There you go. Thank you. Okay. Well, in Madagascar, there are no populations of mixes of these species. They're usually you go to a given river system or a given lake, and you'll only find one species in that lake. So, so that's not going to happen in nature at all. Because I mean, for example, Damba Bay comes from Lake Kinconi, which is on the uh, the uh, uh, west side of Madagascar, and uh, uh, Damii, for example, comes from the northeast. So, you know, they're separated by 800 miles or a thousand miles in a completely different river system. So, you're not going to get that opportunity for them to hybridize. Now, in an aquarium, it can be a different story. Um, I have a I, my philosophy is keep them in mixed community tanks. I keep three, four, five species in the same tank, and uh, on no occasion ever has there been a crossbreed. Like Maculatus and Menorambo, for example, look very much alike. Uh, you know, body shape, even coloration to a degree, but I've never seen a Maculatus and a Menorambo attempt to spawn. As long as you've got a male and a female of a particular species, they just seem to hang together. Now, in my pond last year, it was a different story. I ended up having a mix of fish, and a few of them were singles. And I did have a, a male of one species breed with a female of another. I, I didn't keep the young, of course, but it can happen in an art, artificial setting, but not in nature. You're not going to see it. No. no ligers in the Madagascar community. It doesn't work that way in Madagascar reptiles either. If you have, like with a lot of the satanic geckos, I used to have a huge collection of uh, geckos. Mm -hmm. And then I got Cryptosporidium, and mm -hmm. I had to pull all of them out. I had a huge collection of Europlatus. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, oh, I'm still sick about it. I lost them, and I lost Periodurum Asobe. I lost all my nice geckos. There's different kinds of the, like, leaftail geckos, so like the Satanics and the Ebenawi groups. You can put them together, they won't breed. Like the white mouth mm -hmm. Satanics, which were the bigger ones, mm -hmm. and or the red mouth ones, and then the black mouth ones, there's a little bit of a size difference. They'll stay together mm -hmm. in the same tank, but they won't breed at all. So no, no, that's that's it. No, they seem to always select their own type uh, if given an opportunity. If not, well, you know, desperation kicks in, and they they will, uh, you know, spawn with a, another species to to be sure. But uh, I've never seen it other than, like I say, in my pond, and that was because I had only a single of one and a single of another, and they they just got together. That was it. Now you've talked about your pond quite a bit. How large is your pond? These are some big cichlids. Uh, not huge. Uh, it was tw it's twelve hundred gallons. It's uh, twelve feet long by five feet wide by thirty inches deep. And um, uh, you know, sometimes I'll put a full size adult fish out, but then of course I have to keep my numbers down. Maybe more than no more than maybe fifteen twenty larger fish. But I love using my pond as a grow out uh, tank in a sense. So I've got tons of Central American young cichlids right now that I just want to get outside and enjoying, you know, <laughs> the pond and the sunshine and so on. Um, so I'll probably be able to put a hundred of them out there with me any problem at all. And will you will you harvest those in the fall, or will you let them be out there for two months and then replace them with something else? No, they'll be out there for the duration because I I put so much structure in my pond that you know to get any fish out I'd have to empty the pond. I'd have to pot have pots in there and driftwood and you know it's quite a quite a chore to uh to get the fish out of a pond unless you emptied it basically so no i keep them in there usually the pond i can keep up and running until the end of september uh maybe even into october although last year i got caught in a snowstorm um 
I was ready to bring them in and we got a very heavy snowfall that day. And I, it was, it was really, I wish, I wish I had gotten it on tape because it was a real gong show uh, <laughs> trying, trying, trying to get the fish out of that pond. And I, I had a couple of Rubbermaid containers or little giant containers, hundred, like hundred gallon ones that I transfer them to before they go into the house. And I had this glass cover on one of them and I lost my footing, slipped and fell backwards into the <laughs> little giant tub and uh, broke the glass, and <laughs> it was unbelievable. It was not a very pleasant fall emptying my pond. Usually it's not like that. I pick a better day. But, um, yeah, I uh, keep them out there for a good four, four and a half months. Uh, I actually have a presentation that I give. Uh, it's called uh, Keeping Tropical Fish in Northern Ponds and All the Strategies for Success, because in 12 years <laughs> I've had a lot of experience trying to find out how to make this work, <laughs> and it, uh, it seems to. What's funny is I get calls from people in Texas and Florida saying, hey, do you think I can keep these fish out there? I said, listen, I'm north of the 49th parallel, and I keep them up there for five months. So you can do it that where you are. It's kind of humorous. Yeah, these two knuckleheads that I work with here, they always want to do like aeropima or arowanas or something crazy like that. So. And then my cats mm -hmm. live. Yeah, exactly. Cats mm -hmm. shoot them whole. Mm -hmm. Oh, another question from the Discord. These fish are not easy to get a hold of. Sometimes they're impossible to get a hold of through the normal trade uh, methods. What is the most you spent on a cichlid? The most I've spent? Oh, gosh. I'm cheap. I am really cheap. Um, I like how he looks over his shoulder to see if his wife's right? behind him. He's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. he's not here. We've got a second mortgage. <laughs> okay, let me, let me put it this way. My local wholesaler is glad to take my fish, and I build up quite a credit with him. So when the fish come in and I want those fish, I simply, uh, you know, use my credit to get them. So I really don't go out and have to lay out cash for them. I'm able to get these fish mainly through him. Um, I think probably the most expensive I've ever gotten is about $80. I would say 80 That's not bad. No, it isn't. <laughs> yeah. No, I can, I can live with that. But, yeah, that. but that would be an adult fish. And if... If I have my choices, I would get smaller fish all the time. I like growing, <clears throat> sorry, growing them up from a small size. See, Adam, Adam is the same way. He loves to grow up the fish from from small uh -huh. up to adults, yeah. and I'm just too impatient. I just buy adults and, and go for it. Well, yeah, with Malagasies again, it's that uh, group um, aspect of them. You know, growing them up together is what creates compatibility and um, a low aggression. Because I've had, you know, instances where I've had a, an established tank and I've thrown a fish in that didn't belong in there. And right away, it's, you know, it, it, it becomes the source of attraction for every other fish in there. They, they look at this and a stranger has arrived on the scene and suddenly they're after it, you know. Um, it's amazing how the use they, use they get to one another. But I like to see them develop. I like to see all the stages of, of what they go through to get to adulthood. And I love that moment when they actually start to mature and interact, you know, in a in a breeding sense. And so that that transitional point is really important in my hobby because I'm I'm an observer of fish. Really, I I like to look at the social aspects of them. Have you when you're breeding these? Oh, sorry. No, go ahead, Adam. Oh, when you're breeding these, I'm assuming that we start that you that they were started with smaller populations of like the Pelini and all of them. Have you noticed any genetic drift or genetic defects in the babies yet, or is are they still breeding pretty true? Well, they're breeding very, very true. Um, actually, I, I had a couple of uh, 
batches that did have a lot of deformities to them, but I, I discovered that it was the medication I was using for uh, the antifungicide. I had put too much methylene blue in, and oh, it, it resulted in resulted in some bent spines and some, you know, maybe 10%, 15%. And uh, also another group of fish, I think I overdid it with the methylene blue, and I ended up with short gill plates on a lot of them. So, but as far as genetic drift, it's not really happening much because most of the fish in the hobby are coming from, uh, like I say, Leif de Mason's Old World Exotics in Homestead, Florida. It's been discovered, or it's <laughs> generally true, that if you have a, a population of 200 to 300 fish in a pond, that there won't be any genetic drift. Like there is some number like that, two to three to 400, that if you can keep a population of that size going, um, that everything is going to be okay. There won't be any degradation at all in the uh, genetic makeup of the fish. So in, in terms of this, I mean, I've got probably four or five generations of certain fish that I've had over the course of the 10 years, and I haven't noticed any differences in them at all. Not really. Good to know. So since we have an audience, a platform for people to listen to this, even Discord tonight is pretty full. If there's a species that you're looking for that you've had problems finding, uh, you explained before how you expect a couple of these species to no longer be in the hobby, and maybe we had hints of a finding it. What are some species that you think might have some hope if someone's listening that they might have it or know of a place where they uh, could find it? What are, what are those species that you're looking for? So you're talking about uh, Malagasy cichlids in particular? Madaga any of the Madagascar species? Well, if you had another two hours, I could tell you a oh, story no. about me. <laughs> <laughs> about trying to get a particular fish called Paretoplus damii. Um, it's such a long story, I could write 10 pages on it. Um, but that fish, uh, I, have a, you know, I have a possibility of getting it now, but I've worked for five years to try to get that fish. Uh, I went to Europe twice to get it, in fact, and failed twice. So it's, uh, it's one of those fish that, uh, you know, it's kind of my nemesis. My, uh, yeah, it's a fish that I <laughs> dearly wanted to have, but never, ever seemed to be able to connect with. Um, no, I, actually, you know, the way my hobby's gone lately, I guess the fact that I'm more out there and people know of me and, uh, you know, I, I seem to have opened up a few more uh, pathways for, for obtaining some fish. The one fish that's most frustrating for me to try to get, though, is the uh, Madagascan um, Pachypanchax, the uh, killifish. Uh, I used to keep killies in some serious way. Years ago, I kept killies for 20, 20 years, nothing but. And uh, Pachypanchax were always something that were very difficult to get a hold of. And there are some people that do have them in north america but it's very difficult to get them um you know unless you're very bold and forceful and you say listen i want those fish from you you know <laughs> like i'm not that kind of guy i don't i'm not not that pushy you know but uh there are certain fish that i've tried to get in a sort of a controlled way and uh, uh not had much success doing it um since i'm uh, administrator of the madagascar endangered fishes i feel i need to expand my horizons beyond the cichlids alone. I, there are plenty of fish uh, beyond cichlids in Madagascar. It's just that none of them are available in the hobby much. So that's a real downside. So but, here's uh, a little fun me to uh, go over there, explore some lakes with some people and, and equipment and see if we can get these in the hobby. <laughs> <laughs> now, the problem is that they don't allow any fish out of Madagascar anymore. 
<laughs> There's a complete embargo on uh, shipping any fish out of Madagascar. They're all keeping them there to have them gradually die. They will <laughs> you know, not take any reptiles out either. That's no. why they need to write them a letter telling them, you know, of your program. You're trying to save the species. You're only bringing them to yourself. Dear Madagascar. Right. Yeah. Well, some years ago, I... Uh, I got to visit the uh, Toronto Zoo. I was giving a, a presentation to an aquarium club in Toronto Zoo, and that happened to be the place where um, the curator of fishes there was involved in an expedition to Madagascar in 2016 to try to find a fish that they thought had gone extinct in the hobby. And uh, they successfully brought them back to the Toronto Zoo and have bred them, and they've in fact sent some to Europe. Uh, several aquariums in Europe now have them as part of the breeding program. And I've been trying my best to try to pry them off the Toronto Zoo. I've done everything. In fact, the person that asked me to be administrator on the Madagascar Endangered Fishes is that fellow, the fellow that actually found these fish. And he can't even get them out of that zoo into a hobbyist's hands. It's like I I just think, you know, I, I would love those fish. I'm not looking at it from the profit motive or, you know, whoa, I'll get those fish and I'll breed them and send them out and, you know, make a fortune. Nothing like that at all. It's just that, you know, the hobbyists tend to do so much to try to keep things rolling with the fish. And in many cases, they are the last resort. I mean, I'd love to think that a public aquarium is the place where fish should be. But I've been to several public aquaria where I'm afraid that what, you know, under which they keep them or uh, if they have a breeding program, it's very weak. And, um, you know, for, in terms of long-term sustainment, I, I don't know if that's the best option. But I understand where they're coming from. They're the ones putting out the money and the grants have to be and so on. So, yeah, <laughs> that, um, that's an issue. I wish I could get a hold of some fish a little more easy. I don't have any particular species that I've got to have at this point in my life. I'm quite content with the fish I have. Uh, right now, I'm working on a Central American cichlid called Thomasicla asfrasti, which uh, I got from a friend in England, and uh, I've got two breeding pair, and I'm hoping that they spawn for me this summer. So, you know, that's keeping my my fish uh, fully satisfied, my fish keep, fish needs. Well, see, that's why we got to transition you. You know, you can't get it as a hobbyist, right? You are an expert that travels around, but you need to become a gallery. See, you just got to open something in Winnipeg, have the uh, Gallery of Madagascar Species, and boom, then they'll start sending you stuff. Oh, you think that's how it works? See, there you go. <laughs> well, that was better than okay. my idea, just, just going in there and stealing them. I mean, that was my idea. I mean, they may not well, have great security systems. You, you know, I mean, the, the zoos are looking for money at this point because with the COVID, most of them are closed and probably need some money. So there you go. You know, that's, isn't that the truth, eh? Yeah, you're right on that. Maybe you can, yep. uh, uh, you know, call the janitor and say, hey, for a case of beer and some tacos, would you let me in for a couple hours? <laughs> that doesn't <Okay>. work. <laughs> you don't know that. <laughs> oh, no, I know that because I went to the case well, of some tacos. You might want to do a follow-up podcast with me when I'm behind bars and, you know, <laughs> it'll be a, a novel follow-up to this conversation but just think um, of the books you yeah the, the jeffrey epstein thing fell through for us so right <laughs> oh so, you guys <laughs> so jim yeah. for the people that are listening that uh you know inspired by the conversation never knew the impact of the species that are you know just getting crushed in madagascar what mm-hmm. can some of the listeners do 
even as beginner hobbyists, um, to help preserve the species, help this cause? I wish there were some obvious things that could be done. I think from a hobbyist level, I think joining a group like Madagascar Endangered Fishes or CARES or the uh, Cichlids of Madagascar Facebook sites would be a good thing to do because getting a bit of a knowledge base, a bit of a a sense of what's going on with them and uh, what's available and people's experiences with them um, would be the thing to do. I don't think, even though you've kept fish for a long time, it's not the kind of thing you would necessarily jump into. I think people would like to see a little bit about what they're getting into, you know. Uh, Not that it's like, whoa, you know, this is going to be tough. It's not that way at all. It's just to kind of realign your thinking on some things. But I would say that, uh, you know, a few of the Facebook groups are very valuable, supporting your local aquarium society and hopefully trying to carry a little bit of the message about Madagascar cichlids into that, you know, hobby setting. You know, know, again, if I could give you 10 definite things to do to raise their profile or to allow people to become more knowledgeable of them, uh, that'd be great. But I'm afraid I can't. We're at well, that. Let's let's go with some of the obvious, right? You know, number one, people have pocketbooks, right? They'll donate to causes. Is there a cause they can donate to? Is uh, you <clears> said for pet stores again to start supplying Madagascar species to try mm-hmm. to keep the species spread? Um, mm-hmm. You said join Facebook groups like your Madagascar Endangered Species Facebook group for education, mm-hmm. sharing knowledge, and um, mm-hmm. again spreading the the word of the hobby. And what species? You know, would be the species if someone to order it, and where would they order a Madagascar species right now of any kind to help well, save the species? Like I say, I mean, I don't want to promote any businesses, but like I say, the only real reliable sources in the states are are Life to Mason. Although I just heard the other day that he's really low on stock, but he only sells to retailers. So if someone wanted them from him. They'd have to go to their local retailer and have that retailer do an order with uh, Old World Exotics, and then he could provide it. Another uh, person who does provide Malagasy cichlids, uh, fairly high profile, is uh, Dave Schumacher from Dave's Rare Fish in San Antonio, Texas. I, I know him well, and he's sent me fish before. And then there's the fellow who is the hobbyist in San Antonio, Jose Gonzalez. Now, he sells his fish through uh, Dave's rare fish, but he also sells on Aquabid. So if you you know look on Aquabid from time to time, you'll see a list of maybe three, four, or five species that are there. He uh, he goes under the name of Cichlasoman, C I C L A S M O M A N. You know he can be found, and uh, he sells fish too. The thing is, uh, you know, a lot of us that make any money on these things try to support funds for for their conservation. And there are several that are associated with the hobby. One of them is from the uh, American Cichlid Association. Uh, there's a couple of funds there that will gladly take, you know, donations. Uh, but uh, once again, I, I can't, you know, give you that information off the top of my head right here. But uh, there are only about four four sources in the states where you can get these fish, and but you have to order them, and stores will order them. But again, there's a limit to, you know, they're not going to place an order for three fish and They'll come in at a huge price, unfortunately. So you'd have to be ordered in some numbers, I guess. So, yeah, uh, th- that would be it. That would be uh, Leif de Mason and uh, Dave Schumacher and uh, and Jose Gonzalez on Aquavid. And then I'm up in Canada here, so that's a different ball game because I can't get my fish into the States. That's a problem. 
I have no physical way of getting them here other than driving them across the border. And now the border's closed, of course. So that's we'll wait for it to open and have you over to our place. Well, I'd well, love there's... to come and visit you. I'd love there's... to come and visit you guys. Well, Jim, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. But uh, before we leave, I tried to save this one for the for the end. We had more questions because, again, uh, you're also uh, a, a longtime Killy expert. Is that correct? I did keep Killies for a long time. Yeah, I had a good 15-year run at it, um, pretty saturated with it. Yeah, for sure. So the, the question that I, I was uh, prompted by Discord to ask is, what after that 15 years of having Killies, what's your favorite Killie? Oh, my God. <laughs> well, See, as I told this you. This is what you do, like... every <laughs> listeners. Every time you ask a guest their favorite, you just make them have an aneurysm. Well, when you've been in the hobby as long as I have, and I used to keep I think at one point I had 160 different species, and they all had their own challenges. They all had their own degree of beauty. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on. Um, I'm thinking back to the the ones that I might have had more success with, but they amid maybe the more common ones. Uh, I, you can't beat a, a, a you can't beat the fundula pantrax or shostadi, the uh, blue galaris. I mean, to me, that's Achilles for all people. I mean, it's got size, it's got beauty. Uh, it's a great fish. So I would say Blue Galaris would be probably one of those foremost in my mind. Again, in the bottom notes of the podcast, you can find the Facebook group for the Madagascar Endangered Species and a bunch of other information for uh, Jim's work. Please uh, go to that, join up, share the information with your fellow, fellow Aquarius. If they're even not a cichlid guy, it's still information that's valuable in the hobby. I uh, continually follow Jim also on social media fun watching uh, his adventures with his own species and ponds. And uh, again, contact your uh, local aquarium club after this COVID's uh, done to see if you can get him to, to come. He's very, very willing to uh, speak at events. Yeah. Just one more thing, fellas, before I go. Um, one of the things I do is I do a lot of videoing of my fish, uh, you know, for people to observe and to see what I do with them. So I have a, a YouTube channel. I don't, use the youtube channel to make any money i just put my fish out there so i've got a youtube channel that's got um about 700 and something videos on it right now and uh, it ranges all the way from centrals to south american to malagasy to indian and uh, you'll see the complete history of my fish keeping career over the last seven or eight years on there for sure and it's under jim coming there's your intro music right there that i pulled that's up. the one you actually found it did you okay oh, because pretty- Jim Cumming is the voice actor of Winnie the Pooh. You know that? <laughs> He's the more famous Jim Cumming. <laughs> I think he has an S at the end of his name, so that's how I got he by does. with it. He, he does. That's the way to do it. Just leave there the S off, right? So, again, yeah. the link for his YouTube will be in the descriptions again, and he has very, very beautiful uh, cichlids. So certainly check those out. And, uh, again, thanks for having me on. Anything else you got for us, Jim? Thank you uh, for the opportunity of talking about these fish that I am very enamored with and uh, uh, it's so impressive to see what you guys do. I keep spreading the word as you're doing and uh, thank you for having me that's for sure. Thanks guys for listening to the podcast. Please go to your favorite place where podcasts are found, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever they can be found. Like, subscribe, and make sure you get push notifications directly to your phone so you don't miss great content like this. I never knew that a Minnesota accent 
be so sexy until I heard Adam's voice. Go fuck yourself, don't you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's my boy, don't you know.